right, all right. Y'all ready to go week two? You doing good? Good. All right. Well, hey, last week we started with something that I want you to understand. Something is better than what? Nothing. Nothing. Something is better than nothing. That's what we taught last week. That's where we left off last week. And see, this entire series called Just Do It is going to be one that speaks to you growing in maturity, you growing up, you, you finding further spiritual and emotional and relational health in who you are. You realizing that I want to become an adult. I don't want to stay where I am five years from now. I don't want to be the same person in the same place, same season of life. I want to actually grow up. But what we also learned is that the only place in life that you naturally grow is time. You can do nothing to slow it down. It doesn't matter how much of a constipated face you try to make. You just sit here. It's going to happen. Okay? We are all on that train of losing your hair and metabolism. And I am further along. But... Everything else in life, you actually have to work at growing. You have to make a conscious effort to grow and to mature. And so while we remember and we embrace something is better than nothing and and how that's true in every element of your life, every single part of your life, your fitness, your health, your faith, your finances, all of them, as you continue to grow up, you're going to have to realize something's better than nothing. So as we pursue wisdom through this series, the main thing I want us to grasp is is that it's not always easy to live out something's better than nothing. So last week we gave you three simple ways that you can do that. And the way that we live out this this title, this tag, this message of something's better than nothing is we dream and we pray and we obey. We dream, we pray, and we obey. And last week I told all of you to either start dreaming or dream bigger. Those of you who've never dreamt before, you need to start dreaming. And for those of you who've been dreaming, well, dream bigger. Because God is not offended by your big dreams. He's offended when you don't dream big enough. Because the most ridiculous, crazy, audacious thing in your world that you could possibly think of is tiny to him. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And when we, when we dream, when we pray, when we do these things in a big manner, it gives the omnipotent, all-powerful God room to work in a powerful way. So... In order for my mic not to do this, y'all remember like a month ago when this would do this every week? Then I punched something and it stopped. And his name is, no, it's not. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> uh, no, tonight we're going to continue talking about this. But we're going to focus not on the dreaming, but on the second part, on prayer. And in full disclosure, if I can be really honest, I am probably not qualified to teach this to you. I'm probably not the expert that needs to come in here. And give you all the authority on how to live a life of prayer. Because I'm still learning it myself. But what I want you to hear is, that's okay. God is consistently teaching me how to make strides in learning how to live in prayer. How to make prayer a part of my life. And I'm living out, and when it comes to prayer, that something's better than nothing. I'm still figuring this out. But he's given me a little bit of wisdom. A little more time to figure it out than maybe you have. And some stories that I think are going to go a long way. So really what I want to do tonight is not teach you something specific, but I just want to have a conversation with you. I want to talk, to, talk with you about what it means to live a life of prayer and how to pray in a way that would allow you to live out something's better than nothing, how to do prayer. And so at the end of tonight, I'm not going to talk too long, but at the end of, the, of this real honest conversation, we're going to give you an opportunity to actually practice what you're going to hear. And so that's the whole reason why we're calling it Just Do It. It comes from the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, and it says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Don't just listen. Do what it says. Just do it. Don't merely be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. 
And so what I'm going to teach tonight, what you're going to learn tonight, you're going to have an opportunity to practice it right after. It's not an obligation. Not everybody has to. It's voluntary, but it's an opportunity to live out what you're learning. And see, as we go through tonight talking about prayer, really what we're going to do is talk about it through three main angles in this conversation. And the three main angles are this. Pray big, pray specific, and pray hard. If you want to know the three main ways you can live out prayer, these three things. Pray big, pray specific, and pray hard. And this is a conversation. Nothing's going to be up here. Just me and you. Pray big, pray specific, and pray hard. Did you get that? Pray big, pray specific, and pray hard. But in order to actually understand this teaching on prayer and how we approach prayer um, individually, we have to have a proper perspective of both prayer and of God. So before we begin, we need to understand who God is first before we can approach prayer. And A.W. Tozer says this, says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me read that again. Marinate in that for a second. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And see, it's also the most important thing about how you pray, too. Because you can approach prayer in one of two ways. And this is where we're going to land, and you're going to figure out how to pray. The first way is your agenda. Or... The second way is God's agenda. You can approach prayer in one of two ways, your agenda or God's agenda. And when I point over here, I don't mean that y'all do it and y'all do God's. You're not better than them. Don't judge, okay? Your agenda or God's agenda. One of two ways you can approach prayer. If you approach prayer and it's all about your agenda and what you want, then you're treating God like a genie in the lamp. Like you're Aladdin and you got three wishes and he better come out of that lamp and he better give me what I want. Because this is about getting God on, on my agenda. Really, my prayers then are all about me. It means that you approach God when you feel like it or when something bad happens. And it means that you don't have the confidence of knowing that he actually listens. When you approach prayer like it's your agenda, you treat it like it's a lottery. Have any, y'all all over 18, have any of y'all ever played lottery? It's okay, it's, it's a confession. And a little bit of bravery. You're in church. It's safe. Okay. I'm raising my hand. I have. It's 480 million. Of course I did it. You freaking kidding me? All right. So playing the lottery. Do you ever expect to win the lottery? If you are anywhere in your right mind, you don't expect to win the lottery. Can we just call it what it is? And hopefully you don't do it all the time. It's, it's 472... What could I do with four? I'm playing it. This time I'm going to put a dollar down. I'm going to get four into 72 million. I play it sporadically every once in a while, whenever it's big, whenever I think it's something I want, and I never expect to actually win. And in prayer, when you treat it and you approach prayer with your agenda, then what you're saying is I'm going to go whenever I want to, sporadically, not when I really need to, and I don't really think that I'm going to hear God's answer or get what it is I'm praying for. You treat it with the exact same expectation as you would the lottery. And this is what you do when you approach prayer by your agenda, by trying to get God to come down and be on your agenda to make it about you. This is not how Jesus teaches us to pray, though. It's not how we see wisdom in prayer. Prayer is not about getting God on your agenda. Prayer is about you getting on God's agenda. So the entire focus of tonight is going to be understanding and right-sizing prayer because of who God is. When we pray, ultimately, it's all about God. 
So instead, you approach prayer like it's all about God's agenda, and you just want to get on it. In this way, you treat God not like a genie in a lamp, but like God, who he actually is. Knowing that he is more capable of doing whatever he wants, and that he's sovereign, which means that he's orchestrating everything for his glory. When you approach prayer like it's in God's agenda, you don't treat it like a lottery, you treat it like an invitation. God inviting you into deeper intimacy with him. What if prayer is more about you coming to know God more than it is God giving you what you think you want? Prayer is not about you trying to get God on your agenda. Prayer is about you trying to get on God's agenda. There are two things in Scripture that we see that talk about this. The first comes in Psalm 37, and I'm just going to speak to you tonight. We're just having a conversation. Psalm 37 says this, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Anyone ever heard that before? Or focus first in the kingdom of God, and he'll give you everything that you want. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Here's the problem theologically with that statement. What actually happens in it? Is it that he gives you what you already desired? Or is it that he implants in you the desires that you should have? Think about it. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Are they the ones you already have? Or is he giving you the desires that you should have? See, when you approach prayer like it's God's agenda, what you're saying is ultimately... God, here are my prayers. Here are my dreams. Here's the biggest, craziest, most ridiculous thing. Like, there's no way this could happen, but <laughs> here it is. Have your way with it. Do what you want to do with my dreams. I know that you're sovereign. I know that you're going to orchestrate everything for your glory. All I want to do is I want to be a part of it. This is how I think it would be awesome if I could do that. But what happens is when you start to give God your prayers and you make it about his agenda, not yours, you start to allow him to morph and mold and make those dreams into what he dreams for you, not just what you dream for you. He gives you the desires of your heart when you make it about him. So do you approach prayer like it's a genie in a lamp? Whenever everything's bad, whenever he leaves, whenever she doesn't like you? Whenever you don't get the grade or you don't get the job or someone got something instead of you or when your family gets sick or when your loved one passes away, is it only in the tragedy that you approach God and look for him to come through? Or are you doing this at all times? See, we have to start approaching prayer like it's about us getting on God's agenda, not us trying to get him on ours. So, does this mean that you don't pray because he's going to do it anyways? No. Does it mean that you don't dream because he's going to give you everything? No. It means that you can have the confidence to boldly approach the throne of God, our living, loving Father, and say, here are the desires that you've implanted inside of me. This is how you've wired me. And as I figure out more about who I am and how you've designed me, how you've how you've molded me, how you've crafted me, the strengths and the talents and the competence that I have, this is how I foresee that potentially happening. But at the end of the day, what I really want to happen is your will to be done, 
not mine. And when you approach him in that way, he gives you the desires of his heart, but then he changes your heart. So we also see Jesus teach us in Matthew 26. <clears throat> and if you want to follow along later on, you can do that. We're just having a conversation, though. I'm going to talk to you. In Matthew 26, Jesus is about to be arrested. And after he's arrested, he's going to get dragged to Jerusalem. And when he gets dragged there, he's going to get beaten and tortured and eventually crucified. And the night before this happens, what some scholars would say, 12 hours before all of that happened and he died. He was up in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying to God. And he was praying, God, here's what I want for this to not have to happen. I don't want to get beaten and tortured and like, this is going to suck. I don't want to do this. So God, here's what I want. I don't want this to happen. He says, if there's any way, take this cup of suffering from me. But your will be done not mine. See, Jesus shows us how we pray towards God's agenda. We say, God, here's my dream. Here's my desire. This is what I want. But even more than what I want, here's what I really want. And it's what you want. So give me the desires of your heart. Put them in mine. And I will delight in you because I trust you, because I know that you love me, and because I know that you're working every single thing that's happening, both incredibly horrible and incredibly good. You're working them out for your glory and for ultimately the betterment of me. I trust you in that. Not your will, or not my will be done, but your will be done. Take this from me, but even if not, your will be done. I surrender to that. And then you start to see that your desires play out for what he desires. And prayer becomes more about what he desires, more than it is about him making happen what you think you desire. Do you know more than God? Because sometimes we probably act and think like we do. Sometimes we probably make ourselves our own God. I know what's best for me. Her. Why are you laughing? You do that? I did it. I know what's best for me. That job. Pfft. Not him, me. I'm going to win that thing. I know what's best for me. To get swole. Okay, listen. That's a whole other set of problems. See, the truth is, I see you laughing, Richard. I know you're trying to get swole next to West. He's, hey, he's, he's a little teddy bear. Don't worry about him, man. See, at the end of the day, what you have to understand is God made your heart. He is your creator. He is your father. He molded you when you were in your mother's womb. Before you were even a thought, you were a thought of his. And he knows you better than you know you. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And he's omnipresent. He is everywhere beyond time. So he is, you ready? He is fully present now, just in the same way that he's fully present 10 years from now. He exists beyond time. And if he knows what's best for you 10 years from now, and you have no idea where you're going to be 10 minutes from now, then he knows you better than you do. So then if that's true and that logic plays out, then the best possible thing for you is what he desires for you, not what you desire for you. So you start to approach prayer differently. 
trying to get on God's agenda. God, whatever you want to do, here's my dream. Here's this most ridiculous thing I could think of. And it'd be awesome if this happened. What I really want in this dream, me giving it to you and handing this towards you, is for you to take that, mold it, and fashion it to what you want from me. Because prayer is ultimately about you. So as you do that, here are the three angles of prayer that you need to understand. The first, pray big. Pray big. Because God is big. You don't pray big because you can conjure up some incredible vision for yourself. In all your grandeur, I'm going to take over New York City one day. Like, no, you're not freaking Superman. Stop. No, not in your incredible vision of yourself. You don't start dreaming big of all these things that you can have in these accolades. You start dreaming big because God is big. And the biggest, craziest dream you could have is tiny to him. And when you set your prayers not about your agenda, but starting to go towards his agenda, then he takes your big prayers and he does even bigger things. Here's why you pray big. Because if you pray small, then you can accomplish your prayers and your dreams. Why do you need God? But when you pray big, you give the omnipotent, all-powerful God room to be God and to show up in a way that only he could so that he gets the glory and not you. And in order to pray big, you got to start thinking big. See, it's really easy to just, I'm going to have 18 bajillion dollars and I'm going to have Dexter's Lab in my backyard. And let's see, the Powerpuff Girls are going to be my friends. Like, like, come on, that's right. None of that makes any sense because you're just, you're just speaking and it's about you. But when you start to think and you start to get some focus into your prayers, what you're doing is you're saying, God, here's how I really think my life and my dreams could play into what you would have for me. So when you think big, you start to pray big. But thinking in your prayers also requires that you start to do the second thing. Don't just pray big, pray specific. There's a pastor in South Korea that I read recently that said, God doesn't answer vague prayers. God doesn't answer vague prayers. God, I just want you to take care of me. Okay, I, I will. God, you know what? I pray that I, have, I just want a great job one day. Like, where's the room for him to work in that? You can go get a great job for yourself. But when you start praying so specific, God, I hope you'd save all my friends. Okay, do you know how many people you know? What are you doing to do about that? Like, you, come on. No, instead of just, God, I pray you'd save my friends. God, I pray that you'd save my friend Jimmy that I've known since I was 12 years old and that I'm thinking of his face right now that I've spent nights at his house when I was younger. We grew up playing sports together our entire life. I got to officiate his wedding. He's one of the closest friends of my entire life. He was in my wedding. And God, he doesn't know you. So I specifically am going to pray for Jimmy. Because as I think of his face and his heart, and my heart breaks for his, your heart breaks even more. So I'm going to pray specific for those that I love. God, I have this huge dream of what I would love to do one day. And I'm not just going to pray that you make a dream come true. I'm going to pray that you make this dream come true, this specific dream for this specific job at this specific place. Because then when that happens, there's no possible way that it could have worked unless you showed up. Now, again, are you saying, 
God, I'm praying, so make it happen. No. You're saying, God, here's the specific area of which you've put into my heart what I desire. But at the end of the day, your will be done because this is really about you. How is it that you want me to play out your glory and your story in my life? You pray big, you pray specific. And the last thing is you pray hard. You continue coming back to God and circling this prayer until he answers. A word for it is importunity. I'm an English major. I can give you big words. Importunity or a relentless pursuit. God, here's the deal. I'm not going to stop praying until you show up. Because I believe that you will and I know that you want to. So show up. And by him seeing your faithful pursuit of him in this arena, in this area, then he'll start to answer. This is the part of the thing that I don't understand when it comes to prayer. I'll be completely honest. Sometimes it baffles me. But I know this to be true. Beyond my logic or my ability to reason, Jesus teaches a story about a woman who persistently came back to a judge asking for something. And then the judge in the Bible said, okay, you can have it. And the only reason we see why he gave it to her is because she kept coming. There's a persistence that allows God to see your faith in him when you continue to come back to him and you pray hard about things. You pray, you pray relentlessly about things and you don't give up just because he hasn't answered. See, I think the key to praying hard is being desperate. And I don't know that we're desperate for God. The brash truth, if the Holy Spirit never showed up here, we could still do this. It'd be the most hollow and lying thing in the world. It'd be a giant facade and none of it would be real. But we could do it. So what is it then that I'm desperate for and need of the Holy Spirit? For the word to be spoken and for him to show up. Because if he doesn't show up, then this is all a lie. It's all a facade. It means nothing. And my life is to do this. So I need him to show up. And see, sometimes in life we get desperate. And it's interesting how when we get desperate is when we pray the hardest. It's when, you about to, when you're about to go bankrupt when you're older. And you're going to lose everything. You get pretty desperate in that moment. You start praying pretty hard. It's when your parent gets sick and is about to die. You get pretty desperate in that moment. You start praying pretty hard. When you get sick and there's something terrible on the, on the, right on the other side for you, you get desperate. You start praying pretty hard. I shared this with you all a few months ago. My wife and I, back in the winter, we had a miscarriage. And it was awful. But the scariest part of it is what happened as a complication from the miscarriage. I thought my wife was going to die. My wife thought she was going to die. She had the thought, all right, Matt's going to be a widower, and he's going to raise the kids by himself, and I'm going to see Jesus. Okay. I can't tell you how hard I prayed in that moment. Sitting in the ambulance, driving 30 minutes to the hospital while my wife is in someone else's hands, bleeding out. I prayed harder than I ever have before. And you know what? God showed up. And he answered that prayer. He was so kind enough to allow my wife to live. 
But the part of the story I didn't tell a few months ago is that I also prayed extremely hard, just as hard a few weeks before that, that God would allow that life, the life of that baby to thrive and to live, and that he would allow life to prevail over death in that moment. Because we weren't here in a heartbeat, it was really faint. And I prayed harder, maybe than I ever have, that God would allow life to happen. And then we went back to the hospital, we went back to the doctor to go get another ultrasound and kind of hear the heartbeat. And there was no heartbeat. And see, God didn't answer what I wanted that time. God answered what I wanted with saving my wife's life, but he didn't answer what I wanted in terms of allowing my baby to live. And the outcome of my prayer should not change the intensity of my prayer. You have no idea what God would do with your prayer. You just go after him with the exact same intensity, just as hard, every single time. Because without him, you're nothing. If you don't have him right now, this is the kindest thing I could say to you. You have no hope. That literally is the kindest thing that I could say to you. So that you can understand the reality of the only thing that matters in this world is Jesus. Because he's the only hope that you have for life. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to do enough things to be in right standing with God so that once you die, you are with him. If you don't have him, hell is what is awaiting you. And that is the kindest thing that I could say to you so that you understand the truth of you should all be desperate for Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, you have nothing. That's the hard truth that you got to hear. And so regardless of in your prayers and in your dreams, the, whatever the outcome may be, you pray with the same intensity regardless of it. You pray hard. You pray big. You pray specific. And then you pray hard. You pray relentlessly until God shows up. You continue to circle that in your journal. You continue to circle it on your mirror, on your whiteboard, on a piece of paper. Write that name down. Write that thing down. Write the healing down specifically and circle it until God shows up. And even if he doesn't, he's still good. His will's still going to happen and you're still okay because you got him. Because prayer is not about you trying to get God onto your agenda. Prayer ultimately is about the intimacy that God allows us to have with him when we try to get on his agenda. We had a miscarriage and lost a baby, and we're okay. Because I know that God has great things for us. And for whatever reason, it wasn't written into his story that that would happen. And I trust him, and I'm okay with it, and I know that it's the best thing. I don't understand it. It's not what I wanted, but it's best, and so I'm okay with it. Because my prayer allowed me to get on his agenda for what he wants. God, this is what I desire, that there be life and not death, but your will be done. That's how you start praying big, but that's also how you start praying specific and praying really hard. So, when I asked you to dream last week, what were your dreams like? See, this really is one giant lesson that's broken up into three pieces. You almost can't get this one unless you got last one. You can't get the next one unless you get this one. So go back and get someone's notes. Have somebody reteach it to you well enough. When I asked you to dream last week, what were your dreams like? How big were they? 
And were they all about your glory or about God's glory? Was it about your agenda or about his? And now when you grow into prayer moving forward, you approach it by trying to get on his agenda, not trying to get him on yours. You do that by praying big, by praying specific, by praying hard. You trust him with your dreams and you're desperate for him to come through. So how do you need to get on God's agenda when you pray? Think about it. And let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you guide these next few moments. Because ultimately when we pray, that's all that's happening, is that you are guiding, you are interceding, you are telling us what it is that we should be saying to the Father. So, Holy Spirit, guide these next few moments. Father, I pray that you would have spoken with so much truth tonight that we'd have no choice but to come to your throne and say, all right, your will be done. I trust you. And if there's anyone in this room who's wavering in that, who's trying to figure out, I don't know that I can trust you, or I don't even know how that works, then Father, I pray that you would bring maturity, that you would bring a sense of growth, and that you would bring a sense of just confidence to everyone in this place to realize they can dream as big as they want, but at the end of the day, it's for you. And Father, I pray that we would become a people who wouldn't just simply dream, but we'd also start praying. That we pray for your will to be done in our lives. That we pray for your will to be done in our community. For your will to be done in this place. For your will to be done in our family. God, for your will to be done in our future. Because when we start to live that out is when we start to understand the best possible life for us. So Father, have your way. Do what it is that you will. And I pray that we would practice what James tells us. And that we wouldn't simply just listen to these words and walk out of here and think, oh, that was good. But we'd actually think, I'm going to start doing that. And if I ever lived a life before that I never prayed, that the prevailing theme I'd have now is, I don't do that anymore. Now I pray. I pray big. I pray specific. I pray hard. Because I realize that all of this, God, is about you. So teach us to pray, Holy Spirit. Be our counselor and our guide and draw us closer into intimacy with the Father as we approach your throne with boldness, with confidence, and with a promise that you will be there. So Father, I love you. I adore you. Praise you for the opportunity to do this, to pray to you. I pray that you would hear these things and that you'd be glorified through everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we want to do is actually give you an opportunity to practice what I just preached to practice what you heard, to do what you heard. And here's how we're going to do it. Over the next few moments, I've asked them to play a song. This song is going to kind of set the trajectory, set the tone for the rest of the night. We are done. That's it. So if you need to leave, I love y'all. I look forward to seeing you here next week for the slip and slide for a service. It's going to be incredible. But if you want to do what you just heard, you want to practice this out, we're going to give you an opportunity. And over the next few moments of this song, if you need to step out, if you need to leave, I get it, no judgment, there's stuff going on. If you need to leave, you can. But if you're still in these seats at the end of this song, in this room, then I'm going to assume that you are here to pray, to practice this, to approach the throne of God boldly, to give him your prayers and your dreams as big as they are. So you have an opportunity to move, you have an opportunity to stay, you have an opportunity to worship. And at the end of this, If you're still here, you're going to have an opportunity to pray. So as they lead, you worship, you leave, do what you need, follow the Holy Spirit.
We'll get after it.